0: A new government has taken power in Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu, no longer prime minister. What will this new government focus on? What will it be about? What does all this mean for the Palestinians, for U.S.-Israel relations? Lots of angles to this. So to learn more, we reached out to Dr. Ian Lustig. He is a professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania, holds the best W. Heyman chair in the political science department, and he is the author of several books, including his latest, Paradigm Lost, From Two-State Solution to One-State reality. Really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So let's start with this new Israeli government. Tell us about this group that will have Naftali Bennett as prime minister for the next couple of years.
1: Well, it's not really a group uh, that has Naftali Bennett. It's a coalition of groups. In fact, a coalition of eight different political parties having the wa- almost the widest possible range of opinions on the biggest issues that Israel faces the one, th- the one thing they agree on, however, is how can we possibly get rid of Netany- uh, Benjamin Netanyahu? Now, the a group of parties that are in this coalition that succeeded in displacing Netanyahu as prime minister includes a breakaway faction of Netanyahu's own party, Likud. It includes a group of parliamentarians led by Naftali Bennett that is to the right of the Likud, and includes uh, the largest centrist group in it. The largest group in it is a centrist group uh, called There Is a Future, led by Yair Lapid, who actually organized this. But it also includes the left of center parties, the Labour Party, uh, and the Meretz Party, which is a very liberal party, plus, the biggest surprise of all to many people, uh, an Islamic party, an Israeli-Arab-Palestinian-Islamic party. Altogether, they have just a bare majority, but that was enough to unseat Netanyahu and to prevent Israel from having to go to yet a fifth election in under three years.
0: What should we expect as a focus from this government? I'm guessing the the fragileness of the coalition will make it difficult to do anything really big?
1: Well, yes, that's right. But that's its strength as well as its weakness. The reason that this government exists at all is because the ideological differences that make half of it right-wing and half of it left-wing have to do with an issue, the Palestinian issue, what to do with the West Bank, what to do with Gaza, whether to have a Palestinian state. It has to do with an issue that no one thinks can be solved that way anymore. No one believes that negotiations to lead to a two-state solution, a Israeli withdrawal from the West Bank and a loosening of its control over Gaza, that this could actually happen. Since there's no possibility of that happening, the parties don't have to worry that they'll come into conflict one, with one another over what to do with the American initiative to negotiate or what to do with an American initiative to freeze settlements in the occupied territories. None of that's going to happen. So it's precisely the absence of opportunities to make big changes that allows this government to to function. And what we can expect is two things. One, that each minister and each deputy minister of these parties will come to like being minister and deputy minister, and they won't want to give it up. And they can succeed, therefore, in two ways. One is to agree not to get into policy areas where they know they'll disagree, And the other is in each individual uh, domain, whether it's health policy or it's environmental policy or it's education or it's infrastructure, to actually do positive things that make the population of Israel feel like the government is not out to roil the water all the time, to make people upset, to make people scared, to serve the interests of the leader Benjamin Netanyahu, which was also often meant exaggerating threats to the country. There'll be a calming style of politics, and each minister will seek to get incremental achievements that also will lessen the tension between Israelis and Palestinians. So I think that although no great big changes will be in store for the West Bank and Gaza, I think that all Arabs under Israeli control, whether they're Arab citizens or those in East Jerusalem or in the West Bank and Gaza, can expect a lowering of tensions, the end of provocative settlements, a uh, control over uh, violence against Arabs by vigilante groups among the settlers and others. I think this uh, may be even a loosening of travel restrictions, perhaps an agreement, a practical agreement with Hamas in gaza to exchange prisoners to enable reconstruction in that area and to prevent uh, violence between the two uh, between gaza and israel proper
0: what does this change in government mean for relations between the us and israel
1: well actually that's quite promising benjamin netanyahu has been a tough cookie for american presidents except for trump president trump and netanyahu had an extremely close relationship there were only a couple countries in the world that uh, leaders who liked Trump more than Netanyahu, the leader of the Philippines, uh, perhaps Putin. But now, uh, but, but he was a big problem for, Netany- for Obama because, in part, because of the uh, Iran deal and because he was constantly thwarting American diplomatic initiatives to try to deal with the Palestinian problem. The Biden administration knows that there's no hope to get a diplomatic solution to the Israeli-Palestinian problem. It never wanted to do that to begin with. It does pay lip service to the idea of a two-state solution, but has also taken a very interesting stance, the Biden administration has, by emphasizing the importance of the principles, the principle that all the people living between the river and the sea, whether they're Palestinians or Israelis, have equal rights to safety, security, and prosperity and under that banner, a lot of small steps can be taken to improve, to lessen the amount of discrimination, to improve relations between Jews and Arabs, and that's in the interest both of this delicate government in Israel and of the Biden administration, to take the issue of Israel and the Palestinians off the hot plate, let things calm down, have a perception that Israelis and Palestinians are working with one another to improve a difficult situation, and if Israel and Naftali Bennett, and this won't be easy for him, accepts that the United States is going to re-enter negotiations with Iran, then I think the relationship between Washington and Israel will be quite strong. Naftali Bennett has generally publicly supported the Netanyahu policy about characterizing the Iranian nuclear program as an existential threat to Israel, but without the quite the uh, extreme vehemence and uh, a catastrophic language that Netanyahu has used. And even though he has tried to reassure Israelis that he still sees Iran as the greatest threat to Israel, and he will talk to the United States about that, I don't think that he will uh, be in a position, not domestically and not in terms of foreign policy, to stop the United States from resuming some kind of a, a treaty with Iran.
0: Has there been reaction on this new government from the Palestinians? What are what's being said from that side?
1: Yeah. So the kind of reactions you get from Palestinians so far, are mainly from the leadership from the Palestinian Authority, and it, and they say, well, this is not really a change government at all. Uh, the, the, the coalition is the coalition for change. So when he says this is not a change government at all, he's criticizing it strongly. What he's saying is. Palestinians can't expect there to be any negotiations started by this government toward a two-state solution, toward having a Palestinian state, toward ending settlements. And he's right. This government is not going to do anything about settlements or land expropriation or absence of a Palestinian state because it doesn't have a mandate to do it. There's no possibility of removing uh, 11% of the Jewish population of Israel that lives in the West Bank. The United States is not going to do that. So it is, from the Palestinian authority point of view, a no-change government. However, the Palestinian authority itself is stuck in the past. Its whole interest is not so much to gain a solution because it has no way of doing that, but to maintain the idea that someday there will be negotiations over a two-state solution and the Palestinian Authority should be empowered to do it. In the meantime, about 25, 20 to 25% of the Palestinian population in the West Bank that has connections with the Palestinian Authority is benefiting from its stature and from its cooperation with Israel as kind of an extension of Israeli security services. So I'm not surprised that they, are going, that they officially are criticizing this as a no-change government. What we haven't heard so much from yet is the extent to which other Palestinians will take advantage of small openings to work with an Israeli government that is not going to be pushing settlements, that probably will restrain settlement in some areas, that won't be building at such a pace, that won't give a free hand to uh, Jewish settler vigilantes to attack Arabs. And, And here's a key thing. Let's watch tomorrow. What will the government do uh, with a march of extremist Israelis rescheduled for tomorrow to bring flags into the Arab section of Jerusalem? This was part of this very provocative uh, dance of the flags, it's called, through the Muslim quarter. Was The threat of that is part of what's triggered the recent conflict and in, in with Gaza. The current defense minister, who was also the past defense minister, Benny Gantz, uh, has changed the route of of that march so that it ends at the old city, at the Damascus Gate, a flashpoint, but doesn't enter the city. So tomorrow we're going to see Jewish extremists trying to enter the city. We'll see Palestinian demonstrators opposing the rally at the Damascus Gate, and we'll see if the police and the government are able to keep calm there and keep the two sides apart. uh, And whether they'll be fair in the way they deal with troublemakers, this will be a big sign of uh, how the government's going to try to keep the Palestinian issue off the agenda of Israeli politics while it's in office.
0: So what's the future for former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu?
1: The immediate future contains two things, I think. One is that he can't avoid anymore being brought to trial He's not prime minister. That was the only reason that, as an indicted person for the corruption under corruption charges, that he hasn't been forced to undergo his trial. So he's going to have to be defending himself in court. At the same time, he launched what some have called a scorched earth uh, campaign to totally delegitimize this government in Israel, uh, smear it as a left wing government, as a government that could sell part of the country to the Arabs and not to allow it to proceed along some kind of technocratic problem-solving civil discourse, let's let's be adults about Israel's problems for a change. He's going to try to prevent that from happening by rallying his base that has seen him as a kind of messianic figure, and by rallying the ultra-Orthodox who are, f- for, for the first time in a long time, totally excluded from the government. Now, Benjamin Netanyahu does not now have the basis to go to elections and expect to win. And therefore, his ability to disrupt the government really is the ability to raise questions that the government doesn't want to face. And he'll try to do that. But one problem he's likely to face, in addition to the criminal charges, and partly because of those charges, is that there will be elements within the Likud party that he's been the master of, that challenge his leadership. One of those challengers, Gidon Sar, left the party and is now part of the government. So other challengers may see that they could have a better political future by displacing Netanyahu as the leader of the Likud. So I think that's another thing which Netanyahu is going to have on his plate going forward. At this point, and
0: obviously there's still more of the story to be written, but at this point, after 12 years as prime minister, what is Netanyahu's legacy?
1: Uh, well, it's it's quite amazing that he is uh, now the person who has served the longest as prime minister, displacing uh, B- uh, David Ben-Gurion, the charismatic founder, uh, one of the charismatic founders of Israel. He, he is mostly, he has the accomplishment of not doing certain things, that is, by not uh, proceeding down the Oslo road by sabotaging Oslo, which he did. The Oslo peace process was systematically sabotaged by Netanyahu when he was prime minister for the first time in the late in the mid to late 1990s, and then by faking a support for the two state solution that he never really believed in, so that he could string out American diplomacy until it was completely too late for anything to be done. That's what his, That's one of the biggest legacies that he'll have, that he prevented. He was one of many who prevented a two-state solution and created what I call in my book the one-state reality, the reality that between the river and the sea, there are 14 million people, Jews and Arabs, and they live in the same country, whether they like it or not. Uh, half are citizens and half aren't, or almost half aren't. But eventually, they probably all will be part of the same political system with equal rights. And that's going to change Israel in the long run. And in a way, that will be Netanyahu's most important legacy, but not one that he intended.